Company Watch Financial Analytics. Welcome everyone to the second episode of our Company Watch Coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning. Thank you. So we're recording uh, this episode on 31st of March, and I'd like to say that we're back very soon by popular demand, but actually we really are being driven by events. Today, we're going to look at the very real impact that the crisis is having on corporate insolvency. And there are three main strands, I think, to this, which Nick is going to guide us through, but I'll just quickly outline them at the top. So first of all, we've got a relaxation of wrongful trading laws, and that means that a company continue, can continue now to trade, even if there's a doubt about its longer-term solvency. And there are some other measures as well that are being suggested to be implemented. So Nick will, will look, look at those for us. Then second of all, we saw yesterday the first of what is likely to be a number of high-profile collapses with Carluccio's and Bright House filing for administration. And then finally, we've got the opening salvos and battles between retail tenants and landlords, with the news that some landlords appear to be circumventing the spirit of the Coronavirus Act by sending, serving winding up petitions against tenants who have withheld rent. So the Act gave a moratorium on enforcing provisions of commercial leases so people couldn't be evicted, but the Act doesn't seem to prevent them resorting to the normal winding up petition route. Um, so, Nick... There's a lot to cover today, and there are quite a few um, implications for the credit risk angle, which I think are going to be particularly important to, to our listeners. So perhaps you could you could start by giving us an overview on this this change potentially to the, the wrongful trading laws. Um, yes, it's interesting, Joe. Um, uh, the government has understandably uh, decided to give directors of struggling companies a bit of latitude about wrongful trading. Um, what they don't want is... Uh, people to abandon hope and uh, close their businesses um, for fear of wrongful trading. So everybody gets that. There will, of course, be abuse um, of of this, and it does um, materially um, increase the uh, uh, the need for vig- vigilance by all um, credit risk uh, managers. But yeah. the really interesting thing about what the government's doing here is it's uh, alongside this big hurrah about wrongful trading relaxation it's it's speed uh, uh, speeding through the introduction of something it first try uh, uh, asked uh, the uh, credit community and the insolvency community about in 2018 which was to bring in a thing called a moratorium um, for struggling companies but solvent ones so this is not for companies that are already insolvent you've got cva for that right um, what we've now got is uh, a situation where a company can file the documents to go into um, a moratorium. It has to get an insolvency practitioner to act as what's called a monitor. Um, once he says he's prepared to act, mm-hmm. it drops straight into place without any creditor involvement or any creditor say so for an initial period of 28 days, which can be extended up to 56 days, again, without any creditor involvement. And what does that mean, actually? Because, I mean, that, that sounds like it's a done deal, presumably. So, Well, well, it, well once... it, is a, it is a done deal. What it means is that during that moratorium period, the um, no creditor can take any enforcement action of any type, but the 
at the end of the moratorium period, their rights um, are restored. But the really interesting thing that's hidden in the detail of the government proposals, and we will need to see what the legislation actually looks like when they bring it to Parliament, um, is there is an obligation on the part of all suppliers to continue to supply. They cannot stop supplying because of the moratorium or for any other reason unless the company doesn't pay them. Because right. the quid pro quo is the company has to continue to meet its obligations. Uh, it so you would, can't manage down your risk. I mean, that's that's I suppose. No, the... no, no, you can't. You you can't, for example, change the trading terms. So you can't increase your prices, nor can you um, decrease payment terms, for example. Decrease payment terms. So um, what you've lost is that ability to manage down. Um, uh, your uh, your risk, and of course, from some suppliers' point of view, there's there's a a, a bit of a, um, uh, a dilemma here. They may have to continue to supply a company that uh, might be in financial trouble, or they might view it, but it's obviously in some sort of financial trouble at a time when they may not be able to produce enough because of staff shortages or get materials because of coronavirus trading issues around the world. And so they may find themselves supplying a company that they think may not pay for them eventually and not be able to supply another company which can. So this yes. is a this is a like playing three-dimensional chess um, from a, a credit manager's point of view and a, and a, a sales um, point of view. Um, I have to stress that as far as I read it, this uh, must go before Parliament. It's primary legislation. Um, and well, we so don't have the, Parliament at the moment. I mean, that's the other well, issue, isn't it, with this? Because... We don't have Parliament. So whether the government will try to find a, a way around this to get this onto the statute book by another route, I'm not quite sure. But we certainly, what it means is that um, from a credit risk angle, people have to now look at not just the companies they think are insolvent, but the the wobbly ones and they need eyes in the back of their head because they will, if this thing comes into force, these companies will go into, into moratorium for up to 56 days and you, may, you, may, you will know nothing about it and you will be able to do nothing about it until the end of the moratorium period. Uh, and, that, and that is a big, a big change. I mean, it's again, we can understand why government would be, um, would be trying to, to find ways by which profitable potentially profitable companies can trade through this yeah. um but there's a lot of potential collateral damage um in for, yeah. for everybody who's trying to manage their risks um around that, that. and i suppose that i suppose that brings us on to the the, the next thing about this um this this first of what's mm. quite likely to be a, a number of of administrations the, the two we had yesterday Carluccio's and, and bright house yes i think the really important thing about these two joe is that um these were both at best, walking wounded before the coronavirus crisis um, hit. Uh, Bright House had had its business model effectively destroyed by the government capping um, interest rates uh, that it could charge. And Carluccio's casual dining mid-market had already been through a CVA in 2018, closed a third of its stores, and didn't ha simply doesn't have the financial muscle to survive any extended period of uh, non-trading. So I can understand. Um, so, and there will be more like this. There were plenty of walking wounded, particularly in hospitality before this all started. Oh, absolutely. Also, I mean, yeah. also in the fashion trade um, as well. So um, 
But the problem is what we're not seeing yet, and we may not do for a bit, um, is the reality that despite all the government support schemes, the um, um, uh, our new chancellor's um, array of um, armoury, should we say, of bazookas, the answer is there will be more casualties inevitably. And uh, you know that's another angle where, again, from a credit risk management point of view, you need to be on top of um, is your uh, is your customer um, seeking support um, through the government schemes? Will it get them? How quickly will the money come? Can they hold out until then? It's such a tough call. It really, really, really um, uh, is. And I suppose again, it's looking at those companies that already had those kind of underlying weaknesses. Yes. Those are the ones that that really um, you need to be all over because those are the ones that are most likely to um, to not have that that ability to to hold on until the money starts to come through yes. into the into the system. And I, again, I mean, actually, again, very neatly, I don't, I, I think we're, we've actually all our three topics are, are quite yeah. interrelated. Tenants and landlords. Yes. Um, and you know, this is the retailers, obviously, uh, at the at the heart of this um, at this problem. They've had all their income stops, but they've got these fixed costs that yep. that they still got to pay their rent um, to landlords. And we we had the moratorium, didn't we, of um, being able to evict commercial tenants or not but, not being able to evict them but not being sorry <laughs> not being able to evict um, uh, tenants. That's right. Sorry, and. Um, and now it looks like a few of those landlords are, are trying to to circumvent that, or at least you know perhaps firing a few opening salvos in this in this battle to to say you know we can't be the ones holding the um, the risk here in the in the uh, petition the wind up petitions that um, yeah my my reading of this Joe is that this is sabre rattling by the landlords um, because if I stand back and I look at the situation why. By any judgment, would a landlord with retail premises want to force any of, uh, of of its tenants out of business by by filing a winding up petition? Because what on earth else is it going to do with the premises, either during the uh, the remainder of the crisis? Or afterwards, there's already too too much um, capacity in the bricks and mortar retail market and and the hospitality market too, and so. Why would you do that? What's going on here, I think, is a bit of a power struggle where a lot of retail tenants took it upon themselves at the moment the crisis started in earnest a couple of weeks ago to say, we're not going to pay rent on quarter day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government weighed in and said, and by the way, we're going to stop landlords evicting them. And I think this is the landlords pushing back and saying, you do realise we can still serve winding up um, petitions. We can issue them. I'm not quite sure again with the current situation in the courts well, again, that's they... unclear isn't it about what, what the, the courts are operating but a very very reduced um schedule of cases we know that the high court have um have put 12 weeks on yep. to the the petitions that were due to be heard uh, last week yeah so so it's a it's a problem because for a, a winding you know i'm not a lawyer um but my understanding is that for winding all up order to be effective, it has to be accepted by the court, endorsed with a hearing date, and then sent to the company. But I think what the landlords might be doing, um, I'm not privy to their thought processes, but I suspect what they're doing is they're saying to tenants, we will issue a winding up petition. And um, if you don't make some offer to pay some of the rent or some deal with us about this, we may tell your bank that we've issued the 
petition. And that's where it gets really tricky because the moment a bank has notice that a winding up petition has been issued, it will freeze a company's bank accounts. It will receive money, but it won't pay any money out. Wow. And I think this is uh, all the threat and the, and, the, and the posturing that is going on. And I think we have to watch that space and see how it all plays out. And heaven knows what the legalities of all this are. And that's the thing. It's it's such a fast moving um, environment, isn't it? That things mm. are changing, are changing by the by the day. And I think I just to wrap up because we we did promise mm. that this would be quite a short, sharp um, <laughs> podcast. But I think to to wrap up here, I think perhaps in the last week we've seen such an enormous change personally to all of us, our personal liberty, our ability to to go out, closure of schools and so on. And I think now that's receded a little bit. You know, we're, we're kind of used to this new world. But actually what we're starting to see is an incredibly fast moving change in the legal and business world. Yes. And I think that's only just getting started, isn't it? As people mm. start to move to protect their, their risks and they're, they're trying to, to understand what this could mean for their own uh, ability to to manage their businesses that's having implications about how they're dealing with their with their suppliers and their customers and the government is trying to react as mm. as the as the fallout of this becomes known so i think we we really have to to keep very on top of this this yes. the situation it is a movable feast and as you say it's very unclear how these measures will be enacted presumably the government's not adverse to to putting retrospective legislation on the books when parliament resumes um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite a quite a, a, a difficult thing to hold on to, isn't it? This this period at the moment. But, but thank you so much for the um, for your overview. That was that's certainly brought clarity to, to my way of, of of thinking. So thank you very very much again for for joining us, Nick. It's my pleasure. Um, Thank you. And, and to everybody, thank you for listening again. We would, would be very interested. We, as I say, we are going to try and record this at least once a week. So we're open to any ideas of topics. We've, we've got, obviously got lots of things in the news to react to each day. But if there are any particular topics of interest that you'd like us to cover, then please let us know either by Twitter or contacting us at, at Company Watch. Thanks again, Nick. Speak soon. And bye bye, everybody.